You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. Today's guest is Jakob Luner, the CEO at Delog. If you have done everything for a lot of years, leaving to somebody and or handing over the keys to someone who's not sitting with your industry knowledge and with your 10 years of experience in coming, that is, of course, uh, an emotionally difficult thing to do. Hi there, and welcome back to the SAS Nordic Podcast. I'm Thomas, and I'm here with my co-founder and friend, Daniel. How are you today? Very good. Oh, I like that. I'm being referred to as a friend now. I'm great, but I must admit I'm a little bit tired. Actually, I'm looking forward to the weekend. Yeah, you know, sometimes like you just muscle through, and this is—I uh, feel like whew, I'm looking forward to the weekend here. You've been home alone with the kids for a week. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to complain because because your wife is listening to the podcast. Actually, I think she does. I think she does. Every now and then she sends me pointers. You know, apparently I have some words that I go back to. Uh, more often than necessary. I'm not gonna say them here. <laughs> and I try consciously try to think about it. Don't say it, don't say it, but I do say it. Do you know what? I think that's really interesting. Ah, so you've noticed. <laughs> oh my goodness, like can't catch a break here. She's like, why are you saying it's really interesting? Because I do find it really interesting. That's what it is. But anyway, yeah, so now all, all good. Um, looking forward to the weekend. How about you? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Fine here and looking forward to the upcoming SASS conference, of course. And I don't know if you guys have seen it on the schedule, but we are actually bringing back a favorite from last year. It's Tom Boston and it's the sassiest comedy show. It's really funny. Like. Uh I think there is, there's something special working in the B2B SaaS space. Sometimes I compare it with like, it's a little bit of a cult. Yeah, it is. That's why I like it. Yeah. Have you ever met a CrossFitter? No. No. If you meet somebody that does CrossFit, all they talk about is about CrossFit. It is like the entire (laughs) world (laughs) is sort of like, it's CrossFit is the epicenter. And sometimes I feel like, you know, they talk about how many burpees they did and this and that. B2B SaaS folks, we're kind of the same. Yeah. And Tom Boston puts a really fun spin to this. Yeah. But what's the difference in between CrossFit and just going to the gym? Uh, well, <laughs> it's, it's probably really dangerous for a non-CrossFitter <laughs> to answer that. <laughs> I have been to three CrossFit classes and then I, I think like I, I broke my spine a little bit. Okay. But what I observed and I'm sure there's somebody in the community that can answer this properly. And if, I wrong, if I'm wrong, please don't shoot me. But what I observed was it's a lot of Olympic style type of lifts. All right. But in a high pace, high intensity. So you do like, you know, I don't even know what it's, it's called. Like you lift the, the bar above your head and all kinds of stuff. But you do it uh, under a certain time pressure and you have to lift it 25 times. Yeah. And the sessions are rather like high intensity type of activities. Like I think a, a, a CrossFit class is, you know, 30, 40 minutes and then you're done. All right. But you probably lift like when you're done three tons. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just to not have this too much of a, you know, uh, off topic thing is actually that this is one potential activity during Celsius 2023. So we will do the paddle tournament again. We will do the poker tournament again. Then we have some options that we are just, you know, asking around if people want to do. We have the canal tour, the morning run, the morning yoga, and the morning CrossFit. So let's see if anything of that's going to happen. We might just jump on it. Yeah, and you should know Jessica, our production manager. She's a hardcore CrossFitter. She'll be there. Wow. She will. Yeah, she's amazing. All right. So. Um, now we're going to talk about when you come to a stage at a company when you just cannot decide to arrange a CrossFit uh, <laughs> exercise in the morning and do it in the evening, maybe. Okay, growing up from teenager to an adult company, here we go. Today we are really happy to have Jakob Luna. 
<laughs> and that was a good attempt. <laughs> it was, that was a good attempt. Fair enough. <laughs> so, uh, Jakob Luna, the CEO at Delog PLM. So, welcome to the SAS Nordic podcast. Thank you so much. I'm not going to try to say your, your last name after Thomas. <laughs> <but> if, <laughs> we're on a first name basis. High fives and hugging. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. No, uh, all jokes aside, it's, it's really great to have you here on, on the show. And we know you really well. Uh, and I think it's like the third guest in a row that physically resides in our neck of woods. I know like you'd like you, your family, you guys live in Skåne. Yeah. Yes. But I don't want to steal your thunder. So for the ones that don't know <laughs> anything about Jacob, how would you introduce yourself? Yeah. First of all, it's an honor to be here. Looking through the list of people who's been on this podcast, I feel a little bit humble and say, okay, why do they want to talk to me? Um, but thank you. Um, me, I'm Danish by birth, uh, a nationality and still by passport, but I have lived in Sweden half of my life, more or less, uh, at least in round numbers. So when, uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt you there, but when Sweden and Denmark play football, who do you rule for? I cheer for, for always for Denmark. I will what? Until I die, for sure. Uh, oh, no, 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 that will never change. Fine, fine, fine. You're a nice guy anyway. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, and uh, I, I do feel very Danish, but I, I, um, I'm very fond of living in Sweden. I've done that for yeah, a lot of years. And, uh, and I find that mix this Ersunds region, I think, is, is a fantastic region in the Nordics. Uh, I read somewhere that it's, if you include Helsingborg and north of Copenhagen and the surroundings, is four and a half million people in this region within an hour's commute. So it's, it, it is the power plant of, of uh, the Nordics, if you ask me. Yeah, we, we, we agree. <laughs> you agree, good. <laughs> the people in Stockholm don't like that news, but it's, uh, it is still the power plant of, of uh, Nordics, for sure. The capital in that way. Um, otherwise, career-wise, I'm quite commercial. Um, I used to work in the travel industry a lot of years ago and lived abroad for that. Uh, but returning back home, it was... Uh, it has been a commercial journey starting in customer service, cleaning up from the sales and marketing guys. And then at some point in time, somebody poked me and said, okay, you should probably be in sales. Uh, and I was like, nah, I don't think so. I've been cleaning up after these guys for, for some years. I don't think I will ever be in sales. And then, then I shifted into sales and uh, been in sales and marketing uh, after that point in time. Uh, but, but all of that journey has been in leadership positions. So leadership is my craftsmanship. That's what I studied in Copenhagen Business School, leadership and strategy, and that's what I've done for the last 25 years. Uh, but mainly in commercial roles, and then for the last bit more than a year in a CEO role of uh, Deloc. Um, so yeah, and tech, tech savvy, I, I love tech, I love SaaS. Uh, I, I don't have the experience that you two have, but uh, for something like, I don't know, 10 years ago, I, I woke up and, and I realized that this whole uh, subscription model is the way to go forward. And, and today I struggle to see working in other types of, of business models because it, it is demanding in a positive way, demanding. Yeah. Um, and I, I really love the, the what do you say, the reignition of, of the, the, the connection between a customer and the company that uh, as us as a supplier I mean that they have we have to keep them falling in love with us all the time we cannot just sell them something and forget about it right uh, so I really prefer that and I prefer the uh, the forecasting potential of a SaaS business. Uh, so I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. And uh, yeah. yeah, I don't think I will change that. Yeah, it's much more of a, of, a, of a partnership type of relationship rather than how it is in many other businesses, you know, the, the client vendor type of setup. Yeah. Yeah, when you go SaaS, you never go back in, in, in some way here. So I think that goes for, for a lot of us. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think so too. I uh, really do. And, uh, and the only thing that could change my mind is that I normally joke about it. if if I some someday find a job that is interesting enough, but but is outdoor, I would take that instead because uh, I'm an outdoor person. I love sports. I love uh, camping, hiking, biking, uh, sailing, uh, kite surfing, uh, running, everything outside. Uh, so if I some at some point in time can uh, have a living by being outside and doing sports and. Uh, and action stuff, uh, I would probably do that. But until then, I will be in, uh, in SaaS business. <laughs> All right. So uh, you're now uh, at Delog. So what can you tell us about that company? Yeah, Delog is, uh, is a niche thing, uh, which I, by the way, also love. Uh, I love things that are best to breathe, that are specialized in something, where you really, you cannot solve anything, but you can solve something very specifically very well. 
Um, and PLM stands for Product Lifecycle Management. So we're a collaboration platform helping companies that produces, in our case, lifestyle products, mainly fashion apparel, meaning clothing. Uh, it could be shoes. We have a few shoe companies. We have a few people producing jewelry and a few people doing glasses. Uh, but the main customers and the ICPs, I get back to that, is uh, in clothing industry. Uh, All right. And that, mean, that means the PLM system is, is actually where the data is born in a, in a production so the brand is, is is working with somebody who's manufacturing. So we have a supply chain and all the coordination, uh, all the data collection, uh, all the workflow management and reporting in that supply chain is done through a PLM system. Uh, who's typically the users of these kind of systems? From the brand side, from our customer side, it's very often the design and purchasing part of a brand. So if you have a big clothing brand, it, it's people designing, planning uh, the collections and the styles and everything. Uh, but also from the supplier side, it is, it is the different factories or manufacturers of of goods that is using the platform. Okay, and, and you mentioned fashion and, and apparel being a, a typical uh, vertical. Is there other vertical as well that you you work with? No, it's uh, for now. This is the, this is the vertical we work with, and I think it is something where we could we could see ourselves uh, grow into new verticals uh, over time. But uh, but for now, it's, it is this one, and I think. I, I really prefer the part of, of being good at what we do and niched and specialized. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So, do you have to be of a certain size? Do I have to be H and M, or can I be Dan and Tom's uh, t-shirt print shop? <laughs> I think you have to be somewhere in between, sliding uh, <laughs> into the into the ICP talk. H um, and H and M and bestseller and these companies are big enough to to build something that fits them completely. Right. Uh, we are SaaS product by birth, meaning that. It is a standardized thing where there is, of course, customization possibilities. There's an open API. You can you can build integrations towards it, yeah. but you cannot get it in in any shape and form you would like. Uh, so H and M would not be a right fit for us. Uh, but right, but I, I guess my question was more related to: uh, Is it the amount of SKUs or products that you have that drives this, or if you have one product, but your company is massive. I guess you don't need the system. It's it's the items that drive this, or the complexity, perhaps. Yeah, it is. Uh, I say that you would normally you would normally have a global supply chain. If you only have two different styles, so excuse, uh, and you, you have, we have a few companies that only produce 10, 11 different things, and they do them what's called nose, never out of stock, kind of the same things all the time. Uh, they, they don't really need something like us because they could actually handle it in a spreadsheet or handle it directly in their ERP system. But if you have seven, eight different seasons per year, you have tons of styles, men, women, kids, uh, functional wear, meaning sports wear, work wear, stuff like that, uh, then you need something to keep track of that. Uh, companies that that don't have a PLM system, that are maybe a little bit too small, but growing into that, they sit with spreadsheets and WeChat and WeTransfer and WhatsApp and whatnot, and they coordinate all of this uh, with a bunch of different suppliers. Um, and that's very difficult, uh, very scattered. Uh, so we united in one platform. But again, if you only had one supplier or two suppliers and you had five styles, then you would be able to do it easily in Excel and, and, and won't need a business like ours. Yeah. And for the record, I have no idea where these t-shirts were produced and where we got them from. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but uh, you, will, you will very soon, in a very, very near future, you will be able to scan something in the back, uh, QR code or uh, RFID or something, and, and check where it's produced, who sold it, where the material comes from, how it's washed and dyed and woven and everything else. Uh, the game is changing very much around production of anything, especially clothes. Okay. Interesting. So what can you tell us more about the company when it comes to size of the operation and so on? So let, let's start with the ARR. So yeah. what's your annual recurring revenue? That is uh, just shy of 3 million euros uh, in AR right now. Yeah. Uh, and for a company that's 11 years old, that doesn't sound maybe as so much, but, but it was very slow. The first eight years of the company was, I wouldn't say flatline, but with a few customers and, and developing and growing. And then the last three years, it has been really, uh, really on a growth path. Uh, path. So, uh, okay, so okay. how much are you growing now the, the last few years, would you say? Uh, it was uh, over the last three years, it's 159% over the last three years, yeah. 
Okay. Cool. Wow. Yeah. It's actually. So, what what is the main reason for that? What would you say? Main reason for that is the maturity of the market. Uh, I think a lot of these clothing companies understand that they need to collect data in a structured manner. Yeah. Okay. Because if if you order if you order things that and it goes wrong, uh, it was supposed to be blue, but it came home in green, and you did the commercials in blue, uh, <laughs> like, then it's then it's difficult. It costs a lot of money. Yeah. Of course. And then. If you are to live up to the ESG agenda uh, and the reporting and auditing on sustainability and circularity of your products, you can't do that with spreadsheets. It's simply impossible. Uh, you can't do it with emails. And then I think actually Corona to some extent was a bless for an industry like ours because companies had to scale down. Uh, people had to work remotely and not sitting in the same office together. And suddenly if somebody left or somebody was sick or somebody... Yeah, left, for instance, uh, instead of searching through the, the former colleague's mailbox to find the last orders and corrections on a start, you have it in one platform, in one system, and you can easily see where's the track of the different things. Uh, yeah. So I think maturity of the market and then the platform being, uh, being more ready. That is a very Swedish answer of you. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> like yeah, you're probably more Swedish than you think. I expect that here we have a Dane, he will say like, well, you know, they hired a, a new CEO and things started to go like a rocket ship. <laughs> so you're probably more you're probably more Swedish in your attitude than you think. Oh, uh, maybe maybe the humbleness of Sweden just uh, crawl into me. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, I mean, by the way, for the record, I mean that Danes are also very nice. Just <laughs> okay. yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, what about the amount of customers? How many customers do you have? I have uh, 190 customers today, Okay, uh, going towards 200, and that represents somewhere around 300, 320 different brands, because some of the customers, maybe it's even more brands, but some of the customers do have multiple brands yeah. uh, in, in the entity of that customer. All right. And how many markets or what markets do you actively sell on and market your products to? We are we're fairly heavy based in the Nordics. Uh, we 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 were founded in Denmark, so Denmark, Sweden, Norway has been really good markets. But a years some years back, Germany, Benelux uh, came uh, as well. So we have a good split now with uh, I would say Central Europe. Uh, some quite good German customers. Our biggest customer is German, uh, and then. Uh, a good bunch of uh, customers in both uh, the Netherlands and Belgium, and then Norway, Sweden, Denmark. We had a few customers in Spain. We have one customer in Montreal. So our our single North American customer that that is in Montreal, the European part of North America. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we have a we have one customer in uh, Shanghai and one in uh, Hong Kong as well. But uh, that's an even longer story. So we have customers, paying customers in ten markets, ten eleven markets, and we have. Uh, users in last I checked it was 75 different markets because the manufacturers in the different places that goes from all over Europe and uh, a few in Africa and uh, quite, a, quite a lot in Asia so 75 markets okay cool and uh, how has this operation been funded over the years it has been of course uh, funded in not of course, but different ways uh, during the years. Uh, the two founders, Mikkel and Reke, started the company and, and borrowed some money at that time. Uh, and then different funding changed over the years. So today it's owned more or less 50-50 uh, between the two founders and some of the leading employees uh, and then venture capitalists, uh, which is not the classical venture capitalist. It's, it's uh, I would say, the bright money. Uh, we have uh, some really good people uh, that, that has uh, very relevant uh, backgrounds uh, for sitting on the board and, and owning the company. They have, they have put in quite some money over the last couple of years. Okay, so, so the majority is owned by, by the founders and the employees then? No, just, just share the majority. Okay, okay. Uh, so 40, 45 uh, versus 55, something like that. All right. And how much do you own then? I only own a little bit more than a percent so far. <laughs> okay. But, uh, but the aim is to increase that over the years. Uh, but, uh, you have to start somewhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 1% of a billion dollars is a lot of money. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, thanks for sharing that. And uh, I think you guys are on a really cool journey. And, and you come in now here as a, as a hired gun and, you know, mm. uh, you're taking over somebody else's baby. Mm. I think that's a very interesting uh, exercise slash challenge and opportunity like you know mm. tell us high level like how is it to come in to take over from the founders and how did they land in this decision that it's time for somebody else to you know be the captain of the ship 
I think uh, to begin with, there was there was um, a CEO before me, so uh, I was not I was not the first tryout uh, <laughs> in this, and I think that that has uh, that has made it uh, a little bit easier for me because the, there was already at that time a test of uh, of giving away some of the mandate to uh, an outsider coming in. Yeah. Uh, but the company was still fairly small at that time. Uh, so every it was still all hands a deck. It was still everybody could be around the same kitchen table. And uh, and that made it more of an exercise of, of what kind of speciality should we have in around that table. Um, this time around, we're growing so much uh, over the last couple of years. So today we are 60 employees, 62, I think, uh, as of today. Um, and that puts different strain on it. So we cannot be all hands addicted. Nobody can be around that table. We cannot everybody know everything. Right. Um, and that's a bit of a change. Uh, in the company, the two founders are still working in the company. They're still sitting in a management team. And they also sit in the board of directors. So I, I normally I joke, who's who's working for who? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, but it's, it's, it's a balance. Um, and it, it was one of my concerns uh, taking the job, uh, clearly. Um, but also one of the really good challenges uh, in my job. Uh, that is creating this shift in leadership and creating this shift in structure and how we are working. Uh, because otherwise we we will never move. Uh, it's not scalable if there's a few group of people that are really the crusaders that know everything. Right. Uh, you have to either clone them uh, or you have to find a way to decentralize that knowledge and expertise a bit and, and let people specialize. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, th I think that's really interesting because mo most of us that have been in these types of scale-ups have seen that, you know, there's one, two, three people in the organization that have and sit on, on all the answers yeah, for all the right reasons. And at some point, as good as that is, it becomes a challenge for the organization because it's a bottleneck. Yeah. Like, from your perspective, like when you guys discussed this, like, you know, what was the tipping point here when they felt like, you know, we probably are a bottleneck. Like, how do I know when, when to step down? Did you guys have that discussion? Like, are you guys ready to let go? Yeah, we had the discussion in the, in the recruitment process as well. Uh, we spent it actually, I think, three or four months in total, quite a lot of hours together in that process, both uh, talking to part of the owner, uh, structure and, and the board and, and and then the two founders and a couple of the leading employees of the company and, and understanding the structure of how things were going today uh, and then a little bit of the wish for where were we going because if we're just looking for more stable now it, it wouldn't have been interesting but there's actually a very I wouldn't I wouldn't say of course but there is in this case a very ambitious plan of growth um, and uh, and that demanded a different type of organization that was not depending on individuals, right? Uh, because it's very it's very dangerous if if you are if you are depending on a very few super bright individuals that have founded a company and have built it to what it is. If something happens to them, um, it it's uh, and there's also pressure for those uh, those people. Miguel Rege, who founded the company, have, have been working more or less seven days a week for for a decade. Uh, and at some point in time, they do need a vacation and uh, and uh, and relaxation and and the ability to just kick back a bit and let somebody else do this. But it's a difficult transition, and in that transition, um, I normally give the picture. It's a little bit like uh, going from childhood through teenage, young young adult years, and into grown up. Uh, because you feel almost we are an organization, sixty people, eleven years old. We feel almost as an adult. Uh, but there's still some uncoordinated movements. There's still a few things that process-wise is not in place. Uh, and for us to really grow up and be able to scale this, we have to we have to take this. I, I say specialization, and people is like, oh, you only need specialized people. No, no. But we need people to be able to focus on their domain, right? And specialized in that. Okay. Uh, and I think if we take the commercial journey as an as an example, uh, you cannot have. A head of marketing, a sales director, and a customer success person that goes back and forth all the time, and and you need to be able to be able to decide and trust these process and handovers. Uh, that's not the same thing as you shouldn't know each other's domains and be really well coordinated in this whole customer journey. Right. But you need to be able to 
as for instance, as a head of sales, you need to be able to take a step back and say, okay, I will, I will focus on the conversion part. I know marketing is doing what they should be doing, and they, I know how our interface uh, is and where, where I take over, where we take over, and how I will continue that journey and leave it to somebody else from this uh, phase on. Right. Um, but it's, it, it is a difficult phase. And then, again, back to the founders, if you have done everything for a lot of years, uh, leaving to somebody and or handing over the keys to someone who's um, who who's not sitting with your industry knowledge and with your ten years of experience in coming that is of course uh, an emotionally difficult thing to do. Yeah, of course. PR and communication are the keys to building awareness for your company. You want to make sure you reach the right people with the right message at the right time. My Newsdesk is a smart PR platform where you can manage all your communication efforts in one place. My Newsdesk makes it easier for companies of all sizes to create awareness and build relations with the people that matter the most to you. Don't make PR harder than it needs to be. Visit mynewsdesk.com to start your free trial. It's interesting. It's a challenge that that many companies go go through, and it's like you have to thread carefully here to to not break something. And I don't know how far the organization, the log, was in this transitional phase. Uh, and now you come in, and probably you guys are just accelerating this. Like, what have you seen, or some of the challenges in going from centralized to more decentralized type of setup and mandates and and the knowledge. I think uh, some of the some of the um, tricky parts have been trust uh, in a leadership team. There was not really a, a defined leadership uh, setup when I arrived. Uh, there was some level of I'm the team leader of this and I'm the team leader of this and and we coordinate a bit. There's, there was not a not a necessarily fixed meeting structure around this. Uh, there were some monthly town halls for the whole organization, but but a little bit less on the leadership side, and that that makes it difficult if, if things start to happen without you knowing it uh, there's this they can they can arrive some paranoia in the organization and it's like why are they talking about this why what is this initiative what is this campaign what is it what is going on here uh, why has nobody told me and uh, managing these emotions around that uh, was the first part I think uh, and that was actually for more the experienced leaders in the organization and the experienced people in the organization the two founders uh, was more um trusting the process um that's kind of trusting me as well i think that was uh, that was okay from the beginning of, uh, of this as well but but trusting that things doesn't start to fall apart when we do this because there's a really good thing about everybody being around the same kitchen table using that metaphor but everybody knowing everything makes it uh, irrelevant to share a lot of things in different channels and you don't need a big intranet and stuff like that if, if everybody knows everything. Mm -hmm. uh, but we introduced Slack, for instance. Uh, there was a lot of emails flying around. There was a few people using Slack. There was a few people using Teams. There was a few people using more or less none of them. And and then say, okay, you know what? Everything is into Slack. We use Slack as a communication channel. And it puts pressure on an organization to learn how to communicate and brief and update people and also instead of just doing the all hands a deck i'm just going to go and ask uh, actually dive in and say okay can i find that information without disturbing my colleague because they are busy doing whatever they should be doing uh, so having um, it sounds harsh when i say grown-up processes but a little bit about this how do we sh how do we accumulate and share knowledge how do you communicate in a smooth way uh, so we can we can focus on on what each of us has to do. All right. So the emotions to answer your question, Dan. So that was a long talk about, but the emotions around this was, I think, uh, the biggest thing in the beginning uh, to see. Okay, this is not about excluding. This is not about uh, building something behind your back or or doing something else. It's actually about uh, being efficient and uh, and give a little bit of peace of mind and working uh, focus space for for each of these uh, domains. Yeah, and you mentioned before that you spent a lot of time together with the founders and the owners and so on, preparing for this change, right? But yeah. did you also prepare the the other leaders in the company in order to get their trust before getting into to this process, or how was that? Um, I would say yes, but but not necessarily enough. 
No. Uh, it is uh, it is tricky, and, and some uh, some people likes it instantly, thinking, "Great, I want to focus. Perfect, let's do that. I'm all favor. Uh, run over it. Let's do it. Slack. Uh, fine." Uh, others are less uh, less eager to do this change, mm. um, and I think if you've been if you've been in the company when it was quite small and everybody knew everything and you see the value of this really crusader, we have been in the trenches and fought this together uh, in the dark hours of the winter, uh, <laughs> then you feel that it, you should know everything and you, you feel a comfort in that. And uh, I think a few of the leading uh, staff in, in the company, I should probably have spent a little bit more time on on making sure they would trust that process. and. Uh, mm. Yeah. I think we're in, a, we're in a much better place now, a uh, year down the line, but but it, it has taken time and it, it is still, last year we almost doubled in number of employees and that is for a small company like ours, it, that's a huge undertaking. It's it's uh, it's really difficult to follow that and if you're not used to that, it is, uh, it's both frustrating and a little bit intimidating uh, to some extent. Yeah, change change is always hard and intimidating and I, I, I was thinking about... Um, is there something in this process that you need to just sacrifice and let go of when you bring in an outside CEO um, and start as a more grown-up company? I think um, one of the victims in a process like this is this uh, super fast, over-agile uh, kind of approach that you get a really good idea in the morning and then we test it out uh, around lunch and we implement it uh, in the afternoon. You just described our business. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and I, for one, love that. I, I'm, I'm really, I, I'm like that as a private person, but I see that it's, it's not, it's dangerous. Right. Uh, mm. And if you have uh, seven customers and you know them all by first name and, and, and you hug and high five when you see each other, it's a different thing. But if, if you have paying customers in 10 different markets across a lot of different nationalities and languages and everything else, you need to behave differently when you, when you do something as a business. Uh, I think the lock was, at the time I entered, already at that stage. But there's, there's a little bit when you when you specialize a little bit more and you try to process and structure a little bit more, um, then, then some of that super fast, uh, let's just do this, uh, is sacrificed. Yeah. And it's, it's a bittersweet thing, but it's, it's important. Mm. Uh, and it's, it's also, it's a little bit back to this personal involvement thing, because I think, if you're smaller and haven't done this part of the growing up teenage phase, uh, you will always bring the same experts to everything. Mm. So every time there's a complex customer case, oh, I bring this person. Uh, and you know that that person knows everything. So it's easy. You just bring that person. But we cannot clone that person to seven other persons. So we need to, at some point, let go and let the knowledge go to more people in the organization. And we need to build a process. That could be, for instance, a pre-sales process. Say, okay, we meet a, a more complex customer case, a non-standard process. Okay, I fill out this very slight little two-minute uh, formula, and then I get a pre-sales consultant. I get somebody connected to my sales case uh, that will help me with this. And that might not be equally as fast and efficient as if I just, like for the 200th time, pick that person that knows everything. But in this way, the organization grows, and we can start scaling this uh, instead of cloning that uh, that person, uh, and 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 that gives frustration as well. It's like, can I just go to him or her and and grab that person again? No, no. <laughs> we have to try to live a little bit by this process. Uh, uh, and then, if you ask, I think you have to, especially the commercial part of the organization. When I came in, we used HubSpot, PipeDrive, and Freshdisk across the customer journey. And, and each of the department using each of the softwares were quite happy with that. Mm. So when we say, okay, now we're going to do HubSpot all the way from the end, from the beginning to the end, uh, there was, of course, resistance because that, that also feels like a sacrifice. Okay, I have to, I now I have to migrate to another CRM system. <sighs> Should we just go and sell stuff instead? Uh, and I agree. And, and for that quarter, that month, that week, it would be easier just to say, okay, you know what? We keep PipeDrive. It works. It's perfect. It's a smooth sales CRM system. No commercial, but it's, a, it's quite okay. But for the long run, we need to do something else. Uh, and that feels like a sacrifice, but it's still a good, uh, it's a good step to do. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> I'm listening to you and I, I think back of the similar exercises that I've been part of. And just like you described, you know, you know long-term we have to do this, but short-term it is hindering me. 
So, uh, for example, like uh, a company I represented, uh, we were very much focused on new business acquisition. There wasn't much of taking care of the existing customer base. That's not where the company was. So me as, as VP of sales there, I knew most of the customers. And if there was an issue, it ended up with me. Now, at some point, there were too many customers, you know, too many markets present and so on. And we had to have a proper CS team. But initially, what happened was that I could personally feel like, oh, shit, there's an escalation here now. If I deal with it myself, I know this person. I've sat across the table 12 times with this gentleman. We will come to a conclusion. The alternative is I hand it over there, and it's going to take three months, and then it's going to be a bigger issue when it comes back to me. And mentally, it's difficult there to trust the process. It is very difficult. I don't know if you have a magical if you if you have a magical trick there. <laughs> I think there's no magical trick, and normally in that in that exactly situation that you uh, you uh, <laughs> described, Daniel, the, the the comment is often this is this is actually the best for the company. If I just do this, this is the best for the company. And I say, yes, right now, it's the best for the company. And if we were to stay here, and I think we are, we're not far away from, from running a cash, uh, cash neutral, cash positive business. So we could just do that. We could just, yeah, we could just save a little bit. And then we could sit here with an ongoing SaaS wheel and, and that could be running. And we could do it like that. Uh, so if we, if we never wanted to move away from this position where we are right now, that would be fine. We could do it like that. Yeah. But if we, again, if we want to scale it, We have to have, you have to do this in, and it, it suddenly becomes very consultancy kind of playbook uh, process uh, stuff, but it, it, it does work. I want us to be able to go on the street here in Copenhagen and grab a, a random person and be able to pull them into the office and set them down and give them a laptop and show them, here's, here's your online education stuff, here's the process of describing the business, here's our CM system, here you find your leads, here's the, the, the top uh, door-breaking arguments, and this is what you do if you... All this, we should be able to take anybody and do that with. Yeah. Uh, because that's how we would scale. If we were to open a, on, an office in Madrid tomorrow, Uh, we need to have a playbook ready. Say, okay, this is our commercial process. This is how we enter a market. This is what we need. This is what we need translated. <laughs> this is what we need in place to be able to do that. And if we if we don't let that part of the structure in the company grow, uh, we will be very good in, every day fixing these problems, but not in the long run be, uh, be able to scale it. Yeah. yeah. So what would be your tips for companies that might now be ready to leave the teenage phase and uh, you know take the next step to be a grown up company do you have do you have a few good ones for us yeah um i think it's a little bit individual what what situation you're in um i think one of the one of the things that are important is is uh, we live in data single source of truth and that's what we preach to our customers but i think it's very important uh, when it comes to customer data Uh, and in, in a lot of these, I know a lot of companies that are in similar situations, and they have customer data scattered in a lot of different buckets, and they don't they don't have a, an easy or a secure way of of building an understanding of what is that attracts the best customers. They have some kind of a gut feeling, but they don't have any any metrics on it. So scaling the commercial business by understanding how we attract, what we attract, what it costs to attract, how we convert, where the problems arrive, how we solve them, and how we make the greatest ambassadors of our customers. Uh, building a data structure around that is, I think, uh, going from teenage to adult. Uh, a lot of companies need to do that. Because I think most companies around our size have a very messy tech stack. So, so clearing that out a bit and streamlining, having having Uh, I would say a, a, a clear view of what you want, both from an internal communication perspective, but also from a data structure. That's that's one thing. Mm. And then I think leadership. Uh, I'm not trying to uh, praise myself here, but it, it, experienced leaders in these situations is uh, is important. Uh, a lot of the founders, not 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 only the ones I work with here, but a lot of the founders I know are founders due to bright minds and bright insights on, on, on an industry problem that they solved with a the business they started. They're not necessarily people managers. They're not necessarily leaders and loving that part. So they, they do it half. Okay. Uh, if you want to step away from this startup mentality, 
You need leaders that are willing to go in and take the decisions that needs to be taken, that needs to you, to protect and build on a culture and not just scraping by. Uh, so I think uh, taking leadership, because in a scale-up phase, uh, you, you, there's a lot of people entering the organization and not all of them are going to be crusaders. There's going to be a, a few mercenaries as well that come to their first salary. Uh, not all of them are just going to be there seven o'clock in the morning and say, Whoa, we got to fight to the last <laughs> <laughs> drop of blood. Uh, and, and I see some, and this is not represented by the, the people I've worked with here, but, but I see cases of founders being constantly let down. It's like every time I'm trying to recruit someone, they're not as bright as we thought they were. They're not as eager as I thought they would be. They're not, they're not really loving it. They're not really living the culture. These sentences I hear all the time. Mm. And I think if you, as a founder or as a company wanting to scale up, if you can put leaders in positions that are actual people, managers and leaders, and have the experience to go through some of the waves and some of the changes uh, in a controlled manner, I think you have a better you have a better chance of, of experienced adulthood. <laughs> I, mean, okay. I think that's so interesting, but also so scary based on what you're saying. And I think we've heard it as well. Like, yeah, it's not easy to be a hired gun. You're taking over somebody else's baby. Like they've raised it for X years, and I was like, okay, Jacob is continuing to raise it from here on. Yeah. Like, and I think there's going to be uh, a lot of listeners here that find themselves in a similar situation right now mm. or maybe in the future will be that hired CEO like what would your tip be to them like if you're stepping into an organization where the founders maybe stick around what's the best way to make this run the way you intended it to run and not the way it used to be run mm. I think um, I can just share what i did or what I believe in is I think it's uh, it's an honest talk about this. There's a lot of things you don't know before you actually enter the company. I, I think both the founders in this case, uh, but also myself, did a fairly thorough due diligence around what can be expected of, of each other in this and what is what is the direction we're going in. And then there's surprises. When you start unpacking stuff and start opening the <laughs> there's surprises and there will be turns in the road you hadn't foreseen uh, but uh, an honesty and a communication, uh, tight communication around that uh, is important. And it's difficult. It's very much down to people. Um, because, yes, you come in as a higher gun and, and take over and look after and, and steer direction of something that is uh, somebody else's baby. Uh, but I, I feel, I, don't, I cannot feel like a founder because I'm not, but I feel very much an ownership and a, and a responsibility of the company. And I think that comes a little bit with time and investment in it, but but it also comes with the personality. So if you are founder looking for CEO, you need to find somebody who's willing to take that uh, blood into it uh, and not just the high gun mentality. Um, I think that comes in different shapes and forms on, on compensation models and uh, and ways of, of, of building this uh, trust. Um, I don't know, if I got this job 10 years ago, I wouldn't have been ready for it. Mm. Um, I am uh, I'm, I'm in the going on the late forties now, and, uh, and I'm experienced enough to know my worth and uh, what I believe is right or wrong, and I stick to that. Uh, so I have something that is my direction in this, and and, right. uh, and I think I've been clear about that from the beginning. So there's no real for the founders in this, and for the board of directors, there's no real surprises along the way, because they, kn they knew what they hired. I was open about that, and and I think that's important in a in a slow recruitment process. You actually have time to have these conversations and get to know each other, uh, because it can very often be a oh I like you and I like you and that sounds great and that sounds really great and the the reference is checked out, but then when you land in the job, you realize stuff and you get frustrated and it's okay okay fuck it then we do like this instead. Uh, I think this in our case has been a. A calm and uh, and good process uh, where we have stuck to the plan that we agreed upon uh, already from the beginning. That gives that gives I hope at least that's what they say. That gives the founders the trust in uh, in the process and me still. Okay, excellent, cool. Thank you for that. Um, if we look in the future here for uh, the log, uh, what would you say? What, what will happen the next few years? 
Uh, I think there's, there's, diff, there's different interesting tracks. Uh, we have quite some parts of Europe that we want to explore a bit more. Uh, we have a product that is well fitted for that. Uh, then we have uh, we have looked a lot at, at North America. Uh, some of our main competitors are American. And, okay. and a few of them are really good. Uh, and quite some of them are old and installed-based uh, kind of systems. Uh, so I think we would have a chance to to do something on North America, but it's both expensive and a little bit organizational demanding to do that uh, jump across the sea. Uh, so we have dipped our toes a bit in Canada, and I think we might <laughs> we might do that a bit a little bit more. But um, yeah, but I definitely think that we would be in North America within the next couple of years. Um, and then we have. Uh, we have on a daily basis more than yeah what was yesterday more than thirteen thousand uh, companies logging in uh, using the platform from the supplier side of business, and I think uh, there's a lot of business potential in that that we could uh, look into. It's a different type of business than what we actually do, but it it would also make a lot of sense to look at the reach we have there. Mm, interesting. So um, talking about reach, we have we have a fairly good reach with the podcast here, and uh, mm -hmm. this could also be an opportunity for you if you want to ask the community, you know, for help or if you're looking for something particular right now. So what would that be? Any shout out from your side? Yeah, I, that's good. That's fantastic. Right now we are recruiting a new CTO. Okay. Uh, one of the one of the one of the two founders uh, used to be the CTO. He's been there for eleven years and decided now now it's time to do something else and go back and focus on on a few other things. So we're recruiting as we just as we speak. Uh, we're recruiting for a new CTO. A quite interesting position. So if somebody out there is, is eager to join the ship, it's uh, it's time. Okay. What's the main criteria that you feel that that CTO, he or she should bring with them? Yeah, um, it needs, it's a leadership position, for definitely. It is, uh, I think it's, it is uh, it's the biggest part of the organization. Uh, so it is a very, very demanding leadership position as well. But I, would, uh, I want a CTO that has hands-on coding experience. Um, I normally put it as you should be able to call the bullshit. You should be able to see what is what is right and wrong in a situation. You shouldn't be sitting yourself coding, uh, but you should be able to uh, follow the conversations and be able to be a sparring in in uh, and uh, a valuable valuable sparring in these uh, talks about uh, development on the platform, understanding modern technology, and have a vision for that. And it's not enough to be a good leader there. Um, to put a picture to it, I said it's difficult to be the national coach of a football team, uh, a coach of a national football team, if you can't kick in uh, a free kick. Uh, you need to know how to hit the ball. Uh, it's not enough that you know somebody who can do that or have seen it on the television. You should be able to play football yourself. Uh, and that's, uh, that's the same for the CTO in this uh, company. Okay. And lastly, if we could get this person on the show who would it be that made you really excited and uh, you know put on the podcast when you're exercising or when you if you listen to podcasts when you do it? Oh, but that, oh, that's a lot of a lot of <laughs> a lot of different international people and rock stars. A lot of the speakers from the assassins challenge us. <laughs> no, I think I, I think I want to. One of the things that is really um, a hot topic now that is really on our minds and our customers' mind is the whole sustainability ESG uh, agenda, circularity of products, uh, EU legislation uh, when it comes to digital product pass and product responsibility. So everything about doing better climate-wise is very, very hot in our business. And uh, one of the brightest person I know on this uh, is also part, I know, of the network, SAS's network is Daniel Gabb from uh, Position Green. I would love you to interview this guy. Okay. Uh, I think he's very interesting uh, and has an interesting background uh, because he's he doesn't come from a, a study of, of small mice in the desert or something like that. So he's, <laughs> he's becomes environmental with a whole different background. All right, let's dig into that then. We know where to reach him. So thank you for that, Jacob. We will get him on the show for sure. Oh. But uh, thank you so much. This was really interesting and, and always interesting to hear different perspectives of what it is to run a SaaS company. So uh, yeah, pleasure to have you and uh, see you around. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Take care now. Take care. 
So Daniel, what's your takeaway from the episode today? Jacob has a fantastic radio voice. You didn't see him, but he's also great, great uh, in the video. Like it's a man of many talents. Like, like Jacob, if you're listening to your own episode <laughs> and you made it this far, I mean, the log should have their own podcast and you should run it. Yeah, exactly. Maybe even a video podcast. Made your man crush here. There you go. That was lovely talking to, to Jacob. You know, really interesting to, to hear uh, his views on, you know, going from, like he said, you know, a child or teenager to, to a grown up and so on. We've heard it before. It's a really difficult exercise. And I liked how he emphasized the importance of the right type of leadership, you know, the, the people leadership when you make this transition. You still need, you know, your specialist, somebody that knows this and that in the product or whatever it is. But it's, it's the focus on having maybe a different type of set of leaders or different type of mentality in the leadership team to make this transition and working on that piece is, is important. So like lots of interesting stuff, but I think that's one of the things that stood out for me. What about you, Thomas? So one thing that, that I think uh, was pretty clear that it's uh, really important to have clear communication. And, and that goes from everything from having, you know, the meeting structures in place, the, the right um, communication levels uh, within the organization, but, but also when it comes to having systems that allows people to get access to all the information and so on in a good way. So it's not dependent on, you know, going to this person or that person. So you can through, yeah, the tech stack and everything you have, uh, get access to, to what you need and it's easier to onboard new people. So yeah, that's a good takeaway. Could be that. All right. So uh, just saying guys is not the right thing. So guys and gals, we hope that you enjoy this episode. And if you do, we would appreciate if you would hit that, you know, five star or button in what, whatever platform you're using to listen to us. And also, like always, if there's stuff, topics, or people that you think should be guests of this episode, you know where to find us. LinkedIn or email us. Give us the stuff. The good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, thank you for being with us. And uh, always a pleasure to be listened to and to be a part of uh, the community here. At least we have fun, Thomas. At least we have fun. So let's stop with that and uh, see you around. Take care.